Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. What is up, everyone? We have a real treat today. You are listening and watching another epic episode of Untold Stories, where together, twice a week, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, builders, OGs, those who are who understand our industry, building it out, building out the technologies, but understanding like kind of why we got in, into this industry in the first place, why uh, a lot of the people kind of get started and 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 how it continues all these years later to excite everyone on a day-to-day basis. And in fact, the past like eight weeks or so, I would say since this like Terra Luna collapse, I've seen like a renewed excitement in the technology of things because people because when you go to crypto Twitter and you go, because price, you know, no one wants to talk about a bad price. People are not talking about the prices of things anymore. I'm noticing that people are now talking about why my technology is better than yours. And that really is more important because we need to build out that healthy competition so we can, you know, as as an old friend once told me, transcend the Fed or build out these amazing new technologies to Web3 or new rails or whatever lingo we want to use. We all know how important the internet was to, you know, for the past two decades. And if you're listening to the show, you understand that we're about to rebuild everything uh, and make it a lot more free and fair. And that is really exciting. Today on the show, enough enough of me, but today on the show, we have a really good friend of mine and someone who, and, and another person who I hope to become, I hope he becomes a really good friend of mine. Uh, Chad, I'll start with you. Chad, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories. Uh, you're the technical lead at Thorchain, a decentralized liquidity network. It's super exciting that we get to cover this topic today. Uh, before this, you served as CTO uh, at the Sky Network, where you designed and built air traffic management on a blockchain. Uh, you were also the founder and CEO of CryptoCades, an online gaming site. Uh, super cool that allowed people to like utilize spare computing to mine Monero. Oh, I remember that. So cool. Uh, and Eric Voorhees. Eric, thank you for coming back on the show you're a, not only a, an og of the space an old guard but but of this show too i think you've been on twice maybe now or um i'm super excited to have you back with the founder of shapeshift one of the oldest companies in the space now a bitcoin and alto exchange really pioneered the concept of like the the convert instead of having to go onto an exchange and buy and sell one now you go to an ex- most of these exchange, even Binance now, when you sell or something on there, you don't click sell, you just click convert. Well, that when you do that in your wallets, most of the time, a lot of these times you're using Shapeshift. Uh, these guys pioneered that. So it's extremely exciting to have you back on the show, talk about kind of the monetary system, the problems that's going on today. Um, Shapeshift, why Shapeshift became one of the first companies to like, completely, I don't even know what you'd call it, like buy out yourself and your investors and turn it into a DAO. Like, I mean, can, can we jump there, that whole shapeshift DAO situation? When did the idea come about and how did it all did it all go down? Yeah, well, good to see you, Charlie. Um, good to see you, Chad. Uh, so yeah, shapeshift converted itself into a DAO uh, over the last year. And the idea really began like in early 2021. We announced it in July or yeah, July, I guess, of 2021. And um, at this point, Shapeshift is a DAO. So, you know, I'm no longer the CEO. Um, it is not governed by shareholders anymore. It's open source software that the community manages 
in governance uh, via the the Fox token. And um, you know, we did this for a number of reasons, uh, largely because we kept being in this tension of like as a centralized company, um, we were often at odds with the principles of decentralization. And um, I got into this stuff for those principles. And so, for example, when various regulations uh, mandate that we endanger our users, um, I'm not okay with that. And we needed to figure out a way to, to not break the law, but to have the laws no longer apply to us because we, we became a different form and a different structure. So um, we wrote a big blog post about this, uh, you know, just Google like shapeshift is decentralizing. People can learn more about what we did. Um, and yeah, I, I think we were the first, you know, established VC backed company to ever convert into, into a DAO. It's so cool because it almost is like the ethos of, of why blockchains need to exist in the first place, because they, instead of having to worry about risk and all these other type of things, you can almost remove that risk or offload it onto the network itself. And the stakeholders are the ones that have to now be involved in governance and they get uh, a share of the profits, but essentially it almost like takes like a, a hammer to that risk centralization and like breaks, breaks it in and all these other benefits that comes with it at the same time. Yeah, it's a it's a radical form of transparency and community governance and community ownership. Uh, people are really just scratching the surface with it, but it's quite quite profound. Speaking of profound, Thorchain, Chad, like we've been seeing a lot about it over the last two years. The community has become has grown from a very small decentralized community into a very large one now. Um, a lot of people are very excited about it. Um, I understand that Thorchain was built using the Cosmos SDK that I'm like always kind of pushing on this show because I mm -hmm. believe in the interoperability of things. But kind of take us back to the beginning. Where do we need? Where do I need to start? Yeah, in terms of the history of the project, um, it was first started in 2018. Uh, it was a first attempt at it. And it actually didn't work out so well. I think that was pre-Cosmos SDK. That was pre-special uh, signatures and the kind of things that we utilize now to make this possible. It was a little bit like ahead of its time in a matter of speaking. And so it wasn't until the following year did it kind of get like reborn, make another attempt at it. with, And that's basically when I had joined the project at that point. Um, and we started to build in July of 2019 when we first started to commit the first lines of code. And then we launched... Uh, our first kind of like alpha version of it, you know, what we called single chain KSN, like about a year later. And then a year later, we did about multi-chain KSN, which is kind of like a public beta. And then a year later after that, which is just a month ago or two, uh, we finally got into mainnet. Where we're ready to scale up this thing. And where did it go from there? Well, it's got a lot of places to go for sure. Um, for the last, you know, years, we've just been trying to build technology. Uh, this is one of the most ambitious and difficult projects in the DeFi space, maybe even crypto space, possibly. Very difficult to do what we're doing. We're effectively trying to get a consensus on top of consensus across many different chains, whether it be UTXOs, EVMs, Cosmos, you know, whatever else, even crypto note. Uh, and then expand from there. Once we get we we got all working and functioning, secure, reliable, resilient, all these kind of things. Now we're ready to really scale the thing up and start adding, integrating with other DEXs, integrating with wallets, getting much more, uh, more TVL, more trade volume, more security, and start to really grow the thing. What's what I mean? What's the ambition of the project? Or if I if we look at if we look at it from like a 
building consensus on top of other consensus chains. You have like Bitcoin, the Cosmos SDK. If you look at kind of where most of the technologies are going, it seems like it's going towards this like wrapped Bitcoin mechanism, right? It's yeah. Ethereum, almost every other chain. Yeah. How is this different? Yeah. So we, as a project, we are very much against the idea of, of wrapped Bitcoin or wrapped assets in general. Wrapped assets in general, right? Yeah. Yeah. A, they're like, it is, I've heard Eric say in the past, and he's, he's dead on the money when he says that like a wrapped Bitcoin is not a Bitcoin. We all know this, right? And any wrapped asset that anybody is holding, you're you're held liable to effectively some uh, um, entity of some some kind that is managing the, the 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 wrapped asset. In all cases and scenarios, I've yet to see one where it's not centrally managed by a few individuals or some sort of trusted federation of some kind. It's always managed by somebody that that are not economically incentivized to 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 make sure that the value of those assets. The Bitcoin that's under underwriting all that wrapped Bitcoin doesn't just go away or get stolen, right? In all cases, there's no economic security of those wrapped assets. You're just trusting that the person who minted that that synthetic, or sorry, that wrapped uh, Bitcoin, is going to maintain the Bitcoin value itself, which is just not a, a very good idea. So, I think part of the flaw, I think most of the or almost entirely the other in, industry is doing is they're take, trying to take a perfectly good asset like Bitcoin and then try to bring it to DeFi. And by wrapping it into some sort of like non-Bitcoin asset, and then you know have that and within the Ethereum or Avax or whatever ecosystem we're talking about. Sure. But I think the, the 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 difference here, I think, with Thorchain's pushing is we're not trying to bring Bitcoin to DeFi. We're bringing DeFi to Bitcoin, right? We're trying to make sure that Bitcoin is a first-class citizen and that it gets access to all the like the powerful functionality features of what DeFi can bring. Assets we see already on the Ethereum, uh, you know, blockchain, but also bring it to Bitcoin, bring it to Doge, Bitcoin Cash. I mean, who cares? It doesn't matter. Doge, uh, Tezos, like to treat every asset as an equal as, as an equal in terms of its as ability and its rights and its access to uh, basic functions and features. Like that is something I think we all should probably advocate for. Like this is exciting to me. I want to be able to do this now. But all of my experience is using my Bitcoin for anything DeFi related. It, there's a risk involved. I have to wrap it somewhere, like you said, in some centralized thing or wrap it in a decentralized bridge. And I just lost some money in a bridge. These bridges collapse more than real life. Yeah. Well, even those decentralized bridges aren't so decentralized. <laughs> if you look into like if you actually get into, into the depths of them, the more you look at it, you realize it's just a multi-sig securing it by a few individuals, which is not quite what I would consider decentralized. But like um, for us, we, we, we built uh, an entire layer one chain, a Cosmos chain. Each one of these validators that runs this chain is about 100 of them. And each one of these validators has a full node of Bitcoin and a full node of Ethereum and a full node of Atom and a full node of AVAX and whatever else. And they monitor those chains for the wallet addresses that the network owns, right? There's some BC1 address, the OX, OX address, whatever, whatever, whatever. And so if somebody sends Bitcoin to an address that the network itself controls, the validators observe that, oh, hey, you know, Charlie sent one Bitcoin to our address. And in the memo or the op return in Bitcoin's case, uh, it says that they want to swap it to Ether. And he, they provided an OX address to, to receive that Ether on. And then the network just, once it reaches consensus, like two thirds majority of the nodes say, we all saw the same thing that Charlie sent this one Bitcoin to our wallet and 
let's go ahead and do some business logic and swap that Bitcoin to Ether and then send the Ether out on the other side to your address of your choosing. Right. And so like we, we are basically interacting with the layer one native asset. We don't interact with uh, wrapped assets at all. So if you're if we're looking at like, let's just say Bitcoin and Ethereum, I guess, are the keys being derived from the same master key? Because you can der- one private key can derive basically any blockchain's private keys are using that similar technology. Yeah. So in a sense, like if you look at how cryptography works, um, I won't go too too detailed because it's probably not as fun for people, but like you have a mnemonic that generates a, a key, right? Which is, I think it's like a 64 character, uh, character alphanumeric or something like my... this. There you go. That'll work. Uh, and then from that, you can generate a pub key and that pub key, you can generate uh, an address for any chain. Like, so one private key, you can generate the address for Bitcoin and generous an address for Ethereum and every other, basically any other chain in the world. And so the network uh, goes through this process of generating a a new private key every week. We call it a churn. But the network, every time a a new validators come in or old validators leave, the whole network churns every set, every asset, every coin, every token that it has. And it generates a new wallet address and then it sends the old, uh, the assets from the old address to the the new addresses. And so... Is there a risk because this is a proof of stake protocol? As long as fifty-one percent of the stakeholders agree that this transaction is going to process, then you're in good shape. Two thirds. Yeah, two two thirds. Two thirds majority required. So yeah. So if there is for some reason people don't agree, the validators don't agree that Charlie sent us that one Bitcoin, then the network won't act on it. It'll basically just be left behind in a sense. We haven't seen that yet to date. That's never, it's never occurred. I mean, blockchains tend to find consensus eventually. So we haven't seen that actually occur yet, but theoretically it's possible. You know, you see, you have going back in history, you have like Bitcoin and then the early proof of work kind of clones. uh, And then you had kind of uh, some offshoots, but then Ethereum was really the the first oh, Litecoin and Ethereum, but that's, you know, they're still both proof of work anyways, but this like for now, of, for <laughs> now, <laughs> maybe yeah, and, oh my God. shifting over apparently. <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation that I yeah. didn't even <laughs> prepare to talk about, but I kind of want to, cause I'm curious to hear your <laughs> thoughts, but, but I kind of, my next question, uh, Eric is about like, not the importance, but like, let me take a step back. I've personally struggled with where is my personal line? on projects that I can support and projects that I cannot. And my personal line has been this like path to decentralization that I've kind of steadfastly uh, stood by for for like the past five or six years. And this is like all projects may not launch fully decentralized, but there's certain things that put it on this path to and eventually will get to. And at the same time, I'm a maximalist in that in that sense. Kind of Eric, where, how did you reconcile this same? Because you know you've been around for forever. Yeah, well, I mean, Th- Thorchain was like. I, I don't think this is an exaggeration to say that when I discovered Thorchain and learned about it, um, it was the most exciting feeling I had gotten since since learning about Bitcoin back in 2011. Um, I didn't quite understand Ethereum when it came out, so I like I, I didn't get that uh, early enough. But um, Thorchain, I, I understood because of my experience with Shapeshift, right? Because we built this mechanism to allow people to trade coins 
without custody so that we didn't have custody of users' coins. Um, but the way that we had to do that was centralized. Someone sends in their Bitcoin, our server sees it, and then our server sends ETH back to that person. Um, so there's a, a brief moment of custody, but the risk is you know, nearly zero to the user. Um, but we still have to do that as a centralized company. And because we were a centralized company and, and an intermediary, um, that meant we had to comply with all these horrible regulations, which remove privacy and much of the consumer protection that we were trying to build. Uh, so when when I saw Thorchain and I realized like, wow, they've built a protocol that does this uh, at the protocol level without any intermediary period. And it uses these base layer one assets like normal Bitcoin that's not wrapped and normal Ether that's not wrapped. Um, to me, that was just like this profound advancement in the state of the art of technology for this for this community. Um, today, uh, Thorchain is the only way at scale to trade these assets without an intermediary, which is kind of shocking, right? Like if you want to go, if you have wow. some Ether and you want to buy Bitcoin with it, you're either going through a centralized exchange or you're going through Thorchain. Um, there are less scaled options, you know, like, you know, local Bitcoins or, or meeting someone in person, but those are not, those are not done at scale. And so those don't interest me quite as much. Um, Thorchain is, is just profoundly transformative in that regard. So at the same time, how do you, okay. So, so in order to do, let's just focus on, on decentralized swaps because, uh, for the listeners, this has been like kind of one of the holy grails of interoperability is having the ability for from one blockchain that could operate on like a imp, like a, 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 a UTXO model uh, where it's more of a linear chain. And then you could have something like Ethereum, which operates. I don't even know how Ethereum fully operates. <laughs> I, I, I do, but it's like at the same time, it's like... Um, it's not as linear and you're putting together consensus using like, um, oh, this is so embarrassing, but it's a completely different, it's a different, uh, well, Ethereum is still on proof of work and I'm always assuming that it's on a proof of stake. So you have proof of work proof versus proof of stake. And so you have, and traditionally, you need to have a, a, a balance of both coins on either side to create the swap or some mm -hmm. sort of like, money ready to go because people want it instantaneously. These centralized services maintain buckets of all their coins. So when you want to swap from one to the other, you can do that. How does Thorchain then do that? How do you, how do you, where, where does, where do the coins come from and how are you incentivizing people to keep them there? Okay. So, so probably a lot of your listeners, Charlie, are going to be familiar with Uniswap, right? Which was this brilliant invention uh, using this AMM model where you have liquidity pools holding a bunch of different assets. So there's always liquidity. You can go and trade a coin through Uniswap and there's always um, someone there taking the other side of it. And that's because there's not a person on the other side, there's a, a pool of the coins ready to trade. And that was like a, a huge breakthrough for DEXs generally. Like before that, DEXs never caught on, never gained any traction. No, no, no. Um, so Thorchain use is that same model of these liquidity pools. So there's always liquidity for a trade at scale. But the pool, because it's cross-chain, that's like where the magic happens. Uniswap is only Ethereum and Ethereum tokens. And basically every DEX in existence is only on one EVM or another, right? Osmosis on, on Cosmos or uh, the DEXs on, on Avalanche or just for Avalanche, et cetera. 
So Thorchain does that model, but it does it across chain. And these pools are held by the validators on the Thorchain network. So it uses a technology called MPC or multi-party computation in which the key is created among you know, 100 different validators. You can think of it like multi-sig, it's, it's technically different, but you can think of it like multi-sig. So the 100 validators are sharing you know, a portion of the key that is used to sign for Bitcoin, a portion of the key that's used to sign for Ethereum. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I get it. And so, so that means that people are depositing these native assets, people deposit Bitcoin into the pool, people deposit Ether into the pool. And instead of a central server governing where that money is going out, the, the decentralized set of validators governs where that money is going out. So if you had 100 validators sharing a private key, I deposited Bitcoin for Ether, 75 would have to say, yes. 66. Sorry? 66. I keep going. Yeah. 66. What, 67, to be, to be precise. Yeah, 66.6. But, 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 yeah. but to be fair, the network actually doesn't have a single a single key that it shares across all 100 validators. We have what we call, what we call Asgard vaults. And right now, I think there's like five or six of them or so. And so each Asgard vault has up to like 20 different members. And so there's like, uh, the reason why that is, is because with, with TSS, with this NPC that, that Eric was just talking about, the time it takes to sign a transaction increases exponentially the number of members that are a part of that, that signing process. And so if you did like a hundred, it would be like, it'd probably take like a week and a half to sign a single transaction, which is obviously ludicrous. It would never you know, be practical for many reasons. But, and so the network actually just generates a bunch of these things and then they, they kind of operate together and they sign more, more quickly together. Is it public? These, what do you call them? Vaults or silos? Yes. Yeah, everything's public. Everything's open source. There's nothing that's behind closed doors. Well, I'm looking more for like an attack vector. Could I theoretically target 20 people or 20 individuals or machines to try to get a vault, you know, something done nefariously? Sure. So uh, we make it a part of the, the kind of culture of the, of the community that uh, that validators are in on, right? We don't, okay. other, other, unlike other like Cosmos chains where everybody knows who everybody is and that's just how they decide to run their particular chain. But for us, we always just say, you know, I don't know who the validators are. I don't know. I don't want to know who the validators are. Anybody can be a validator who wants to be a validator. And then they all just run this kind of software that we've, uh, as a team and as a community have developed that kind of builds the actual servers and runs this infrastructure. And we have an entire like uh, team called Forsec that just, Part of their role and responsibility is to make sure that that implementation of the infrastructure is, is strong and secure. And it has been uh, audited by an external uh, firm as well. I want to point out like the, the, main, the main source of the security of this system um, doesn't come from audits or from like expert teams watching it. The main security of the system comes from the collateral that the validators have to put up in order to have the uh, opportunity to be a validator. Oh. So. Um, basically, if you're one of these validators, you have posted a bunch of Rune. Rune is the native coin of Thorchain um, in order to, to have that right. And the way that it's balanced is that there are always two, two times the dollar value of Rune put up by the validators as whatever they are securing. Okay. So let's say all the liquidity pools in existence have $10 million of assets in them. There is $20 million worth of Rune put up by these validators. So what that means is that if someone figured out the 20 specific validators and successfully attacked 20 different validators at the same time, which is super difficult, but yeah. theoretically possible, 
um, and they stole the money from those validators, the validators have already put up enough collateral to cover the, the value lost, right? They've over collateralized it. And because of that, they have this strong incentive to make sure their servers are secure. And if they fail and money is lost, then their stake is what's lost. And so the users um, are the last ones that would lose money from the system. The validators would lose it first. Correct. If the network takes the room from those individuals who got their, their boxes exploited, basically, and says, we're going to take your room, we're going to put it back into the pools to replenish the LPs who provided the liquidity I mean, to begin with. It just highlights the importance of proper risk management because a, a blockchain is only as, is only as good as when its hacks have been attempted against it or you know attack vectors or things like that have been discussed and wargamed and, and patched up and stuff like that. So I think it's very important that you guys are so uh, upfront about about you know what the potential uh, you know how you've created these smaller siloed vaults instead of just having one major one and all these different things. Um, and it kind of leads me into like the situation of the day. You know, it's fun and exciting to socially experiment, but when we're doing it with a lot of people's money at stake with that whole Luna situation, but then I, and I'm not even forgetting talking about that. I'm looking more at like Celsius, Voyagers and the like, and, and, and uh, I personally have money locked up in, in one of them myself. It seems like DeFi and what you guys are doing and what this is all about is going to be the big wonders that come out of it. Eric, going back to like the Mt. Gox collapse in 2014, do you remember like what technologies were the big winners of that? Because it's almost like a very good comparison, right? Well, yeah. So for those who don't know, Mt. Gox was, you know, the, the Bitcoin exchange um, of the early years of this whole industry. And you know, at various points, it was 90 or 95% of all trading happened at Mt. Cox. Um, and um, there was obviously uh, some kind of hack and or theft that occurred there. $400 million of assets were stolen, which which back then was like everything. Like that was a huge portion of the market cap of the industry. And um, it, was a, it was a disaster. I mean, it certainly set the industry back for a year or two. Um, many people wrote off Bitcoin entirely. Many people thought Bitcoin had been hacked because they saw that Mt. Gox had been hacked. It was like this big disaster. Oh my God. And it really highlighted like um, how dangerous it was to have these centralized custodians. And anyone who is into Bitcoin, anyone who's into crypto in any way should recognize that the, like, the whole reason this stuff is cool, useful, valuable, important, and revolutionary is the degree to which it is decentralized. So if we can't, as an industry, move away from centralized custodians, then we haven't really gotten very far and we haven't really made a significant innovation. And I think it's, I think there's an important role to play for centralized exchanges. Like they're, they're huge and important and highly liquid. I, I use them sometimes. I don't think they're necessarily evil or wrong, but that has to be like the stepping stone to decentralized exchanges and mass. The, the centralized services need to just be there to help people learn how to use the decentralized systems. And um, if we can succeed in that, then we've actually decentralized finance. And if we if we don't, then all the exchanges will end up looking like banks and being regulated like banks. And uh, the actual innovation that we have all been promising will not really come to pass. The businesses that remove the middlemen, if we look at that, it's exactly what you said. We're, if we look at the future for potentially bearer assets, like, like, like securities, but not just like wrapped versions of the securities, the actual securities themselves existing on chain 
we can't then be reliant on decentralized places because if you need to if if a large government or financial institution or a corporation or even individual wants to in the most secure decentralized way swap a very large amount of one asset to another we're not doing anything different if you still have to take that decentralized asset put it in a centralized place and then hopefully you can withdraw back into your decentralized asset if we're doing that then there's no point of this it's like that funny meme of like the fence in the middle of an open field remember that one yeah <laughs> it yeah, doesn't but... what's the point yeah it's part of uh, i like to think that 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 uh, thorchain is, has in part taken this kind of beautiful dream that what bitcoin birthed many years ago back in 2009 or so of like of peer-to-peer and self-sovereignty and liberty like all these kind of ideals that are just in decentralization that are just beautiful and perfect and wonderful right and uh to take that idea and say it's not just applying to just the world of bitcoin and being able to transfer I mean, bdc between two friends or businesses or whatnot but also being able to move across the whole plethora of different other assets oh and yeah their values and, and what, what they're good for what they're not good for like whatever like allowing people the freedom to choose for themselves what do you want to hold your wealth in it can be bitcoin it can be ethereum it can be whatever like just anything that just kind of gives people more liberty and freedom and a choice and access, especially with these systems where they're just like, they're, they're agnostic to what country you happen to be living in this, in this moment or what side of an imaginary line you happen to be born on. Like these things are massive changes for the entire like human society as I see it. Right. And so I think Thorchain is just like an, another one of these protocols that just try to help push this entire world towards a more free and open and transparent and beautiful sense of it. It's like uh, it also brings about a huge amount of financial literacy. And I feel like over the last 10 years, uh, I cert- certainly didn't know much about this whole world beforehand. But now we've all become like experts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, there's a, an interesting phenomenon that when when you let people have control of their assets and they have the responsibility of keeping those safe, they will inevitably start learning more about finance and about how money works. Um, and this is like one of the great benefits that Bitcoin has brought to people is to teach, you know, now a new generation about finance from the very foundation of money itself. Um, and I think sadly, so many people in the world, like they, they spend their lives chasing money and they have very little sense of how it works, um, why it exists, how it, how it evolved, how it emerged. And as we move people into a self-custody world, um, they are required to learn about this because if they don't and they use it irresponsibly, they will tend to lose it. So there's a certain, there's a certain Darwinian nature to this and that makes some people uncomfortable, but like the, the discomfort uh, and the struggle of learning a new thing is, is often where important new skills come from. And I, I think uh, we can all, we can all benefit from that if we just take on that responsibility. You, you, and, and Chad, you just said it right there too. And you said assets, not money. That's the key here. People, when they think about money, and I see this all the time, you think about money, you're going to be stuck in this like paycheck to paycheck world. Money is not the end all be all. Money is the path to an asset. Wealthy people have assets. They don't, you'd be surprised someone who's, you know, holding, let's just say a million dollars in net worth. If they were smart, maybe only a hundred thousand of that is actually in cash. 
or maybe 150 or whatever your, your comfort level is. But people, wealthy people look for assets. And until we teach people this concept of attaining an asset that is yours and no one can take it from you without certain amount of due process. And then at the end of the day, you can borrow against your asset, live in it, find some utility out of it. That's what we need to help people get to that literacy. It's not money. It's assets that you want to be building. Yeah. You, you, most people know that you, you don't hold your wealth in depreciating assets, right? Fiat. Most people don't know that, assets. dude. People don't understand that. I, they don't well, understand that. The people who are very wealthy know that because that's how they got wealthy. <laughs> probably, <laughs> at least in many cases, that's probably true. Like owning like boats and cars and fiat, like in technology, generally speaking, all those things depreciate in value over time. But like things like, Bitcoin and gold and real estate and these kinds of like asset types are, you know, they appreciate in value over time. Yeah. And a lot of people are pointing to like short term charts. But at the end of the day, you have to look at first, this is like still a very early experiment. And Satoshi and the likes didn't even pro project. Like, I think they talked about the year 2140 or 2150 it was like this whole long term tail thing. And now we're only 10 or 12 years later and we should have all of a sudden the world expects us to have built everything all, all of a sudden, like already. Yeah. Yeah. How did you build a community? I mean, that's one of the hardest things projects have. Half of this industry is, yes, it's mathematics, it's cool technologies, but really the other half is, is community. It's people wearing the t-shirts at conferences, getting excited in Discord, talking to their friends about it. How do you, how do you like, there's such a chicken and egg problem when it comes to that. Yeah, there is. I, I think for us, we had a, a little bit of a different perspective on this question than I think most projects do. Um, we don't. We never had a marketing budget, and we never had a marketing person. Like the er earliest team, the OG team, is maybe like eight people, right, in total, and all of them are engineers, with the exception of one who's a project manager. And so there was no marketing arm or person or anybody who understands that stuff, even to a good degree. And so we never spent money on influencers or spent money on, uh, I think we spent money on one influencer like in the early, 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 early days or tried it out and like, now nah, it's not for us, right? But like, we just didn't do all that stuff. And instead we 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 just shipped a project, right? We, we had a good white paper, we had a good vision of what we wanted to build and we had a good design. And we, by doing so, we kind of attracted smart people like, you know, Eric's obviously a great example of that. Uh, some VC firms got interested early, like Delphi Digital, for example. And so once that started happening, we just started to build like a grassroots mentality. So yeah. people learned about it from other people of, of their from their own friend circle rather than from us buying Twitter ads or something of this nature. But that's hard to do. Most people are listening to the show right now and saying like, well, my friends aren't Eric Voorhees are in the space. How do you both keep your fingers on the pulse? Like how do you follow uh, kind of away from the noise you look at the principles right yes. I mean, this is why i liked thorchain like I, di I didn't know chad before this chad didn't tell me about it um i learned about thorchain and i admit i immediately dismissed it because i thought it had a stupid name and then like i looked a little deeper and i was like okay there's a bunch of interesting promises right like how many white papers are out there with promises and then i realized like there was actually a prototype that had been built on binance smart chain so it could actually be used in a lot of the theory tested. And so the, the deeper I looked, the more I realized like the, the principles that I care about, the decentralization of finance and money, the removal of custodians, the removal of intermediaries, the open borderless nature of this stuff, um, it was all there. And because 
Thorchain provided something which did not exist prior, um, I found it to be incredibly captivating. And so, um, so yeah, I, I joined the community because I was so excited about what, what they had built and what they were building. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Like we focused on trying to solve a hair on fire problem that the industry has been trying to solve. And Eric's been obviously a key figure in that for since, I don't know how many years, 2014 or something like this. Like it's just been a super longer long time. Than longer than that. Almost so like, hundred years at this point. Almost hundred <laughs> But this is like, this is a key problem. We've just, like, one of the like kind of the holy grails sure. of the industry in some sense. And we're just like, just by trying to solve that problem and actually solving it with a, with a very strong design, right? I think that just by itself attracted people and then they attracted more people and that just kind of, it's a slower process than if you were to like you run ads and this kind of stuff, but it's yeah. more substantial. It's more real. It's, it's not just like inflated. It's actual real people getting involved who are really believing what we're doing uh, as, a, as a project, as a community. So is uh, is 13 more of, would you, would you consider this more of a protocol than a blockchain then? Because it seems like uh, this can, this, this protocol exists on almost 10 different blockchains right now i mean how would you define the differences the, the protocol does not exist on the blockchains so the, the way to think about it is thorchain itself is a blockchain built using the cosmos sdk so there's a chain that is synchronizing the knowledge of the thorchain blocks which includes the information about the trades that's going on that's its own chain the nodes the validators that run that chain are also running a bitcoin node are also running an ethereum node etc so the, the, the coins, the chains that are connected to it don't know anything about Thorchain. Like Bitcoin obviously has no conception of what Thorchain is. Uh, Thorchain doesn't run on Bitcoin. That would be incorrect to say it like that. But someone using Thorchain is, is accessing a network where the native nodes of these systems are being used in tandem together. Are there any privacy chains that this can work with? And if not, like what, what are the reason? Or, Cause I understand there are different like technological proofs on the way like Monero works. Yeah. So Monero itself is actually very difficult. Yeah. Um, Telling me we've been, we've been, I mean, it's a great, like, I don't mean difficult in a bad way. It's no, to integrate with. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah Cause I worked at Jax and I remember <laughs> and Eric is probably saying yes too. That was like the it's, one chain that was like to the CTO, like when, and it's yeah, so hard. It's, it's coming. So, so the difficulty is this, is that, all these validators need to come to a consensus of like what just transpired on this chain, on, on the Monero chain. Like, oh, this address sent us this amount of Monero, blah, blah, blah. Like they have to come to that conclusion together. But if, with Brig signatures, like all that information is hidden, right? So how can all the validators come together and agree upon what happened on the chain when everything is like basically in a sense encrypted or yeah. know, obs obscured from all these validators. And so that, that adds a significant layer of, of complexity. And thankfully the team over at, at Haven, Haven's a fork of Monero, by the way, like they're experts in, in, in that kind of crypto note design. I am not an expert in that, right? I don't know that as well as they do, obviously. And so they've been actually spending many, many months designing a, a, a Haven uh, client to work with ThorChain. And then once we have that Haven client, we can literally just like copy and paste that code, drop it down for Monero. And now we have access for Monero. Other chains like Zcash, for example, that's a lot easier because they have T addresses and Z addresses that are, are, are yeah. kind of like hidden or non-hidden, or if you want to put it that way. So we just work with the would work with the non-hidden, you know, the uh, the T address, I think they're called. And so like that would be a lot simpler, easier, easier to do. We've been in, in communication with the Zcash um kind of uh, community or, or team behind it for, for a while now and, and talks and considerations to that. But 
but privacy coins are just as important. Like I love privacy coins, like giving people the power and the choice and the access to move freely in and out of privacy tokens whenever they choose without being KYC. Like that's like, that would be incredibly amazing for the entire industry. Yeah. So I, I want to make an appeal to anyone listening to this. So um, Haven and Monero are in process with Thorchain. Uh, and I believe it's known how it can be done, but it's not totally complete yet. So any of you out there that are into Monero, especially on, on like a highly technical level, this is all open source stuff and your contributions and your, your um, input, your execution would actually help get Monero into Thorchain sooner. Um, oh, wow. So if, yeah, um, if Chad, what's a good place, if anyone out there is listening that understands this stuff on a deep technical level and might want to contribute, where should they go? Uh, the best place to talk to us on the Discord. There's a, a Thornode uh, Disc Discord you can join and ask questions and whatever. Um, but the, the the Haven client is actually pretty far along. It's actually got, last time I looked, I think it actually had all the smoke tests passing, meaning that it has full functionality. Like you can actually add liquidity in a, in, a, in a local environment. You know, you can actually add liquidity, swap, withdraw liquidity, like all that stuff. And it's just, it's pretty advanced down, down the line. And so there's not a whole lot more to do, but there's a whole lot more to do at the same, the same time. And this <laughs> so is so cool because, you know, what you're talking about in, in, in any other industry, medical technology, financial technology, anything with technology, hell, anything with anything, there is no way that your company would be working with other companies or the other technologies themselves, you'd all be protecting the commercial viability of the businesses themselves. No one would be working with each other. Maybe there would be nonprofits, developer communities, blah, blah, blah. But this would not be happening at the scale that it's happening now in other industries. It's so interesting how this like, there's like such a clear consensus of who gets incentivized where, and therefore we all have to work for each other, work with each other. I think a, a big part of the reason for that, Charlie, is, and you're right to point it out, is something really valuable, is that um, because all the economics of these systems run on these open tokens, anyone at any point can own whatever projects they want in any proportion and can exit those projects in any proportion that they wish as well, right? So like, if someone is super into Monero and they own a bunch of it, they have a vested interest in Monero, obviously. If they hear about Thorchain and they're like, okay, that's cool. In a, in a traditional corporate setting, they would have no, no financial stake or any upside in Thorchain. But because this is all token, they can go buy a bunch of Rune and now suddenly they are uh, in sync uh, from an economic perspective with the project. And if someone doesn't like a project anymore, they can get out of it easily as well and hold these things in whatever portion they choose. And this is like a very revolutionary way for people to own assets and, and to be involved with them because it does not, it does not rely on people just having like, you know, the strong principle that if they're pro privacy, they, they like Monero and thus they want to help out Thorchain out of the goodness of their heart. There are those people and that's great, but things are not sustainable and things do not move quickly unless there's economic incentive involved. And so that's really like a key, key aspect of this industry that I think a lot of people don't appreciate. Yeah. I think it's like the whole world, really. If there's no economic incentive, it's like the the oil that makes things move. Absolutely. So if we're, if we're looking at like the front page of Coin Market Cap in like five or ten years, I'd love to hear both your answers. Like, I love asking this question too. We obviously the future is going to be multi-chain or multi-coin because we we kind of have that now. But do you think we're going to be looking at more? like these larger 
industrial permissionless chains that can kind of do everything? Will we see more like application specific chains where it's like if you have a trucking logistic company, you may have your own permission chain? Where do you kind of see us going? Um, I think there will be permissions chains. I, th I think there are some niches where that can probably make sense, but they're not going to be um, economically interesting in terms of the scale that the open permissionless networks are. Right. Um, so I think the, the Internet itself provides a good example of this, where there are private networks, of course, all over the place. But what really mattered, what changed the world was the open permissionless nature of the Internet. Um, the fact that anyone in any part of the world can access it, can build a web page, can integrate with it, and that these technologies, as they're open, can interact with each other. So, um, yeah, I, I think and I don't know if we end up yeah. like on two or three major open public networks or one or a thousand. I'm not sure. It's, it's probably a small handful, probably not one, probably not a thousand. Um, I don't think blockchains can be used for everything like because they have to make certain design decisions and trade-offs. So I think some blockchains will be really good for certain applications and, and others for different things. Um, I think it's I think it's smart that a project like Bitcoin is being extremely conservative and slow moving, where a project like Ethereum might be, you know, more open to to radical changes. And then there are niche blockchains that are even more yeah. radical. Um, I think that's all synergistic, and I'm glad it's all happening together. And as long as these things are open and permissionless with each other, uh, then I think we benefit from all of it. All these things are just tools in the end, right? And there's nothing wrong with any particular tool, whether it be a permission chain or a permissionless chain or whatever. It's just a matter of like, what is the problem you're trying to solve? What is the correct tool to solve that problem? Right? It's simple as that. So I agree with what Eric, with basically everything Eric just said. Like eventually, it's probably going to be mostly a permissionless chain because it's it's open, free, and transparent and available for all. And like that's just going to be most like what's what's used and each use case of a blockchain will probably have a uh, you know two or three like we have like for like lending for example we, how many lenders do we have in in crypto today that are like have yeah. economic significance a handful not like not, a not as many anymore <laughs> well, like no. maybe less today a little less today but that's what happens with bear markets it kind of cleanses where do so. i get yield Finding yeah. yields. You can, you can get yield on Thorchain. Maybe we should talk about that. I'm on that right now. So let's talk about that. I'm actually on the calculator <laughs> here. I typed in 10,000 USDC. And so that means I'd be depositing my USDC on the Ethereum blockchain into an Ethereum blockchain pool where those private keys are split between all those vaults, like you said. And then mm -hmm. my USDC is now being used for swap back and forth. Correct. Yeah. So, um, Again, just like in Uniswap, there is capital that has been pooled by people putting it up to trade against. Why do those people do it? Because they earn a large portion of the trading fees, right? So people put their ETH into Uniswap because they earn a yield on that ETH. Hmm. Um, in, in Thorchain's case, the same kind of thing applies. People can put in the various assets that are traded on Thorchain and they earn a yield. It's generally between like five and 40%. Um, and it's it's an honest five and forty percent because you know what it's coming from, right? Like it's it's the fee revenue from the trades happening in the pool. Yeah. And if a pool is relatively small with a lot of trades happening on it, the yield will rise because the larger portion of transaction fees is going to a smaller group of people. So as the yield rises, it encourages more people to deposit capital, and so it has this nice self-correcting, self-balancing effect. Um, probably the one important thing people need to understand, though 
is that in Thorchain, when you're putting up capital, you have to put in both Rune and the asset that you want to put in, like Bitcoin. Right. So you have to put in both things because each pool in Thorchain is traded against Rune. So this is a yep. significant departure from how Uniswap works, where Uniswap has any number of arbitrary pools. Right. So there's like 15 or 50 uh, USDC pools, and that fragments the liquidity. Um, in Thorchain's case, there is one USDC rune pool. There is one Bitcoin rune pool, one ETH rune pool. And when you do that, you can then swap between Bitcoin and Ether in one easy transaction because um, it's sharing the liquidity of the rune pool. Yeah. So um, it prevents the fragmentation of liquidity, which I think is was one of the things that got me excited about it. But for anyone who's trying to provide liquidity, you just need to recognize that you have to put up 50% value in rune and 50% value in the coin that you that you ah, want to that you makes on. sense yeah but now one, now importantly a lot of people obviously want to earn some yield on bitcoin but they don't want exposure to rune right that's understandable um so i'm excited for like some of the future developments here where people offer easy ways to um to hedge the risk of the asset that they don't want to own right like if you own a bunch of rune you can put out a short position on that rune so that you're net neutral and then you're only earning earning yield on the Bitcoin itself. Those systems and tools are not fully developed yet, but they're obviously doable. And any entrepreneurs out there, um, this this is probably a cool area to start looking into building some some more tooling on top of Thorchain. Actually, the, there's a feature that's currently being uh, worked on now in, in development that allows uh, what we call single-sided yield, right? Or, or, or yield-bearing synthetics, how you, how you name it different things. But it's the idea that you can provide just, just BDC into the network, only take on the price exposure uh. of BDC. And doesn't matter, room can go up, room can go down, like you don't care, like it doesn't, doesn't matter to you at all. You just put up Bitcoin by itself, you put in one BDC, there's no impermanent loss because there's only one asset you're being exposed to. There's no way to have an impermanent loss at all. And so you start with your principal and you start earning yield up from there, right? That's something that's, that, that the, this uh, AMM is uh, currently being uh, worked on and developed. So like, I want to Google the average stock trading fee. What's the average trading fee? $9, it says, through online brokerage. So... It's a low percentage, three to seven dollars. Some other. Ex so if the I was looking at it from more of a percent, a percent number, and I don't know what the trading volume of all the assets across Thorchain is on a on a yearly basis, but the global stock markets, the trading volume on just the global stock markets, not anything else, mm -hmm. around sixty trillion dollars. Mm -hmm. If just those assets were now being traded on something like Thorchain, who are the businesses? that are actually making those trading fees now? And who would be making those trading fees in the future? The trading fees are basically split between two different kind of like um, people, class of people. One is the liquidity providers, the ones that provide the liquidity to the network to, to allow the swaps to, to occur. And the second one is the node operators themselves. So the node operators have to be, you know, uh, paid for their time and their energy and, and their, you know, capital. Yeah. Uh, and so they have to be paid as well. And so basically those two people are basically being are, are generating the yield from uh, these swaps and trades that are happening in the, in the in the pool. I totally see why now, like the major stock exchanges and the middlemen, you know, certificate depository institutions uh, could push against something like this because it's their it's their business models. I mean, if they were smart, 
these companies themselves would become validators and continue to be making this income because they can continue doing what they do best. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've talked to even like centralized exchanges to, to becoming node operators, right? Okay. Like encouraging them to, to, to buy enough room to be able to run a node and contribute to the space because even centralized exchanges are have been having conversations around the idea of utilizing Thorchain to access more liquidity or uh, be able to trade assets they don't currently have, possibly, or who knows what. It, it's worth mentioning, Charlie, that like a, a TradFi exchange, they got big and popular and successful based on a certain set of skills and talents of their organization. Those skills and talents of that organization are not generally going to be the technical sophistication of running a decentralized consensus node, right? Like, like running um, running a node in a crypto network is a completely different discipline than building um, a large regulatorily compliant back office operation, right? So what this means is like a lot of these systems now that are getting built in DeFi, they are brand new opportunities for a whole new and different set of people. And like, a, you know, a 15 year old kid in India could run a, a thorn node right like there's no there's no restriction there a, f- yeah. a 15 year old kid in india cannot cannot create a a stock brokerage in tradfi it's permission <laughs> that'd be tough right. that'd be pretty hard for them to do go to jail well, it'd, it'd be it'd be illegal because they're not 18 first of all it'd be illegal because <laughs> they're not in the right country yeah right and it's it's just a completely different world than this open permissionless nature where if someone is smart and willing to risk capital, they can build these systems, you know, write their write their own node software, build their own nodes. And um I, I think that's that's super special, right? Like it it really it puts power into the hands of anyone who who steps forward to to take it. And um it's as this stuff plays out over the next decade, it's really going to change the nature of of what it means to be an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of the a lot of the bureaucracy uh, from traditional financial institutions is friction. Yep. It's friction that that penalizes finance, that that restricts it. And finance and money go go where the friction is less. And the friction is less in these decentralized systems. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chad and Eric. Thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. I really appreciate the time. We covered so much here today. And uh, I think I I think I finally get it. But the best way to get it is to use it, right? Like I know. you can read all you want about Bitcoin, but the first time you use it is something special. So yep. if anyone's curious about Thorchain, I would recommend just go do, you know, like a, a $10 swap, see how it works. Um, and that'll help you more than probably any white paper or blog. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Thank you guys. Thank you, Charlie.